If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, uh, season two. This time with more sound effects. <laughs> My name is Becca, and over the hiatus, I went snowboarding and I only cried three times. My name is Josh, and uh, just give me a second here. I'm gonna blow all the dust off the microphone mm-hmm. because we were away for so long. Yes, we hope you missed us. And we- my name's Batmate Mike. I'm a little imp who's here to help with the podcast. Batmate, Mike, where did you come from? The fifth dimension. Oh, well, what are you here to help us do? I'm going to spice things up. Oh, no, Batmate, Mike. Now we're floating one foot off the ground. I guess we'll have to do the podcast like this. A a condition which is unobservable to the listeners, but is definitely 100% happening. Whoa. Okay, well, I guess I'll launch into news. Maybe I'll be back to deliver more exciting things. I hope so. <laughs> I need Batmate Mike to spice up my relationship. I don't want to dig into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, first item of news is not really news, but uh, I read Curse of the White Knight, Batman Curse of the White Knight. It's okay. It had a lot of nods to Batman history, especially like animated series and the 89 movie stuff. I'm enjoying the Harley Quinn sequel comic more. I haven't finished it, but the Harley Quinn sequel comic is more of like a traditional detective story. And some actual news tied into that, uh, which is sort of stale because it's from December, but Batman White Knight is getting another sequel called Beyond the White Knight, where writer Sean Murphy says he will be remixing Terry McGinnis, including making him half Asian. Hmm. And that eight-issue comic will drop its first issue on March 29th. Is that really a remix? It kind of felt like everybody in Batman Beyond was, like, at least a little Asian. That's true. There's a lot of, like, because it's set in a cyberpunk area, there's a lot of, like, kanji characters and stuff. Yes. It's it's very, like, Akira-inspired. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people who think that Terry was half Asian, even though he wasn't. Like, both of his parents are white. His oh, yeah, dad is we, Irish. We do see his dad and his mom. Yeah. Hmm. And, and neither of them are really Asian, although, like, his little brother sort of looks Asian, and he has straight what, black hair, so, like, people thought he might be Asian, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend is Asian. Yeah. So. I guess it's just sort of, like, the drawing style. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, also, DC announced a graphic novel for ages 8 to 12 titled Batman's Mystery Casebook, in which kids can look for clues analyze evidence, and solve riddles to try and solve the case before Batman does. The teaser pages that they released showed that you will be able to study crime scene photos and compare fingerprints between the culprits. Cute. Yeah. I always liked little things like that. It looks like a a, a fun little like half graphic novel, half activity book kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that releases on August 30th. Uh, There is a new CW TV show in development, which is titled Batman Gotham Knights that has no connection to the video game of the same name and which is set to be released later this year. It's being written by the Batwoman series writers, but will apparently also not be connected to that show either. Okay. (laughs) Here's the summary. Okay. In the wake of Bruce Wayne's murder, his rebellious adopted son forges an unlikely alliance with the children of Batman's enemies when they are all framed for killing the caped crusader. And as the city's most wanted criminals, this renegade band of misfits must fight to clear their names. But in a Gotham with no Dark Knight to protect it, the city descends into the most dangerous it's ever been. However, hope comes from the most unexpected of places, as this team of mismatched fugitives will become the next generation of saviors. Okay, you lost me at Batman's adopted son. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, Dick? Probably, I Probably? guess. Yeah. The, and then the children of Batman's, Batman's enemies. enemies, so Duella Dent <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, Harley's daughter who likes trucks. Spoiler? Spoiler. Maybe. Yeah. 
No confirmation on who those characters are. That's just the, like the... They'll probably all just be original characters. It could be, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them was one of the Robins. Maybe. <clears throat> if that's who one of the adopted sons is. I mean, you can't just like invent a new Robin. There's just too many to choose from. I mean, I mean they do it all the time. <laughs> but it won't be Damien. No, because he's not an adopted son. Unless yeah. they, like, rewrite his character and they're like, oh, actually, Batman adopted him instead of had him as a child. I guess. Because Batman seems to be... Or, sorry, not Batman. DC seems to be hesitant to make Batman a sexual being. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so weird. Uh, let's see. There's more news about the Batman movie. The merchandise continues to roll out, and this week, a watch by Swiss watchmaker Cross Studio was unveiled, and it will cost $100,000. I can't. It comes with a bat signal that lights up and doubles as a watch box, and three interchangeable straps, two of which are rubber. <laughs> so, the like little bat signal that's uh-huh. inside of it looks pretty identical to this plastic bat signal that my mom bought us from the dollar store. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It looks like the one that they're going to use in the movie. And actually, the article that I read about this watch, said, the watchmaking company said that they got, like, preview images and, like, 3D models from Warner Brothers themselves to make sure that their watch box looked exactly like the bat signal that's going to be used in the Batman movie. I'm just talking in terms of, like, materials used. It's aluminum. Ours is plastic. I guess. <laughs> uh, the watch looks cheap, honestly, even though it's made of titanium with like a carbon coating. I will preface this by saying we are not watch experts. Oh, no, for sure. We're not watch heads yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. The, the watch said that it had a tourbillon in it in underneath of the bat symbol that's in the center. And I had to look up what a tourbillon was because I had no idea. What's a tourbillon? It is a mechanism which, uh, so watches, when you wind them up, they have to release that energy like little bits at a time. So there's like a little thing in there that releases it a little bit at a time. And a tourbillon actually spins that entire mechanism to reduce the effects of gravity on the, on the actual like timekeeping mechanism, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really matter for for like wristwatches because those aren't usually in like a singular direction. Tourbillons were invented for like pocket watches, Mm -hmm. but like fancy watchmakers put tourbillons in them because it's like cutting edge watch technology, Okay. even though it was invented like 200 years ago. Okay. Uh, Yeah. The watch also looks difficult to read with like the hours are shown with a forked hand. So you have to look at the hour like within the middle of the two forks and also, the minutes spin around the center, so whatever minute is facing most upward is, like, what minute it is. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't read, like, a traditional watch with, like, traditional hands. It's it's odd. Just a, just a weird watch. And there's only ten of them being made, and they're $100,000 each. So get your hands on them. Yeah, really. <laughs> In other weird marketing schemes... The real-life Japanese city of Fukuyama signed a friendship agreement with the fictional city of Gotham. Oh, that's nice. The agreement was suggested by Fukuyama's head of cultural promotion, who was looking for a way to celebrate the city's castle's 400th anniversary. The castle's name, Komoriyama, literally translates to Bat Mountain. Oh, I want to go there. And the symbol is a kanji character for mountain stylized to look like a bat. That's really cool. And it looks similar to Batman's emblem. So you can go online. If you look up uh, Fukuyama Batman friendship agreement, you can find these posters that they made where they have like Robert Pattinson's Batman standing in silhouette in front of uh, in front of the old castle. Mm-hmm. It's just really interesting. I thought has, it, has DC responded and been like, we accept your oh, offer of Warner friendship? Oh, Warner Brothers did, yes. Oh, that's yeah, great. that's why they're allowed to use like Robert Pattinson's official like image and stuff. That's it's really cool. It's like an official marketing scheme between the both of them the, the city is trying to get visitors to the castle, and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers wants people to watch the Batman movie. <laughs> you don't watch uh, John Oliver, so you might not know about, like, Japanese mascot culture, do you? Not really. So, in Japan, they have, like, mascots for 
like not just sports teams, but like everything. Like literally everything. Like towns have mascots. Like the fish, the fishing industry has a mascot. Uh, the like transportation industry has a mascot. I mean, we have uh, Smokey Bear for the national parks. They have way more mascots than we okay. do. It's not even a contest. Uh, I just like that they're like just willing to like celebrate anything. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we'll have like you know an agreement with this fictional city that like, hey, we're friends, <laughs> celebrating culture, celebrate our four hundred year old Bat Mountain castle, which is definitely haunted. <laughs> I love it. I want to go there. I think it's also so Fukuyama means like luck mountain. Mm-hmm. So so the city is also supposed to be lucky. Cool. Yeah. And uh, this is Gotham's first friendship agreement. So, mm-hmm. Are they going to send in, uh, you know, reinforcements for the crime waves? <laughs> That'd be nice. Actually, Japan doesn't really have a military, do they? Yeah, they do. I don't know. I feel like I heard a while ago that Japan doesn't really have any formal military. I could be completely wrong. Please don't use this podcast as proof of uh, any knowledge of world goings on because I... I don't know. They have a military, but their military is, like, a lot, a lot smaller than what it used to be, like, after World War II. You know, because of all the stuff that happened. Yeah. We kind of didn't want them to have a big military. Yeah. Sorry, Japan. Not sorry. Okay. Listen, they did a lot of atrocities. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's it for, for news, except for the final piece of news, which is that Peacemaker... The show that we both love got renewed for a season two. Oh my god, season one was so good! Ugh. Okay, there's gonna be a lot of gushing going on, <laughs> so just uh, gushing warning and, uh, I guess, content warning and spoiler warning. Oh yeah, for sure, 100% for spoiler warning. all of season one of Peacemaker. Just a reminder, if you have not watched Peacemaker... Turn Please off go, the podcast right now. Turn off the podcast, go get vaxxed, waxed, and subscribe to HBO Max, and go watch The End of Peacemaker. It's so good. So, um, yes, we left off with the episode where Vigilante, like, tries to fight all those neo-Nazis in jail, and then he gets, like, released, and he's like, I think I did a bad thing. So, following that, we get a little bit more insight with, like, the butterflies storyline and what they're all about. I guess, I don't know, how do, how do I do this? General impressions, character by character? Uh, general impressions is fine. We don't okay. have to rehash the entire, like, plot. Yeah. People have watched it. Yeah. We told them to stop the podcast and go watch it. Okay. I thought the butterfly storyline was really good. Um, you know, it's definitely the kind of thing we've seen before where it's like, oh, it's like you think these are the bad guys, but really they're here to like prevent Earth from harming itself. Very, you know, global warming-esque, yeah. uh, you know, eco-terrorism sort of plot. Like a sort of a, a preachy type of like, we're here to save you from yourselves mm-hmm. type deal. But, you know, obviously Earthlings should be able to make our own mistakes. We... We're never in a nest, but if we were, it's time for us to fly the nest, fly free, and make our own mistakes. And no uh, alien race of bugs is going to tell us different. Yeah. I feel. Definitely the wrong way to have gone about it. Yes. Body snatching. But I liked the message. I liked that it was sort of, um, you know, dubious is not the right word. Gray? Yeah, gray morality. Gray morality, gray, like, sort of takeaways Mm -hmm. in terms of like you know did he actually do the right thing is is it it, it's sort of the the very basic like what a lot of video games do when they make you choose sides where it's like freedom versus anarchy Mm -hmm. you know or i mean sorry freedom and anarchy versus like order and liberty but like fascism yeah (laughs) basically like you know uh, a, a group that says that they have your best interests at mind, but are very controlling versus a group that, you know, make wants to make their own mistakes and, mm-hmm. and wants to allow you to do what you, what you want. Yeah. I feel like that's like the American spirit, though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome because it goes hand in hand with Peacemaker, who's, yeah. a, who's a very, like, steeped into uh, American culture, liberty culture, freedom sort of culture. Yeah. Although in the comics, he, like is European and for a time like lives in Switzerland. (laughs) So anyway, 
Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was really, really great. Um, I really loved the development of the relationship between Peacemaker and the rest of, like, Mern's operatives and how they, like, actually become friends and, like, they start to, like, bond over these things and they start to, like, really care for one another. Mm -hmm. That was really great. Um, I wanted to point out the character of Harcourt because I... Really, really liked her. And actually, congratulations to her and James Gunn. They got engaged oh, wow. uh, like last week, which was very cool. Um, I don't know if they were dating before she was cast or if they like met on set and then like fell in love. Um, but either way, uh, especially if, if they met like beforehand, I think it's really great. I think it's a beautiful gift to your girlfriend to write a character that she gets to play who is like beautiful and everyone loves her, but she's also like a badass and like tough and strong, but she's not always right. So she's not like a Mary Sue and people don't like hate her for being like perfect. Mm. So I don't know. I just really love that character. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, no, she's, she's a great character. I think every single character was, was well written. Mm. There's not a single character that I can think of that I can point to that was like, oh, that could have been done better. Yeah. Like even the, even the bit parts, even the side characters, like the, the janitor or like the couple that, that he liked ties up they were all like really funny and well written or the the his dad's neighbor who like is harassing him and i love how like peacemaker just goes off on him and then he's like i was just trying to make conversation (laughs) like i felt so bad for him but he wasn't though he was like like, needling peacemaker on purpose i loved it i thought it was great (laughs) um but, uh, yeah, no, and I also love how, like, in the final episode, basically everyone got, like, a really great hero moment. Like, yeah. I really love that hero moment with uh, Economist, where he, like, admits that he dyes his beard, and it becomes this really, really emotional monologue. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. Um, I really loved... Uh, what's her name? Uh, Leota's hero moment. It's like bringing moment. it back full, full circle. With that beard thing, it was like bringing it back full circle, but like adding stakes to it. Like yeah. there's no stakes to whether or not he dyes his beard, mm-hmm. but whether or not he's going to be honest about it in front of the butterflies yeah. is like, you know, it, the entire mission hinges on it. You yeah, know? exactly. I, it was it was so well done and, and so good and just did a great job for, like, developing his character and, like, deepening the stakes, like you said. Yeah. Um, I really love Leota's moment where she's like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to be the human torpedo. Not only... And that she fails the first time. <laughs> it was just so very in character. Um, and I also thought, you know, as crappy as it was for Peacemaker to be the one to activate the helmet the second time and like launch her directly into a, into the cow. I thought that was like really good for being like, okay, now we're even. You yeah. like, you like followed your mother's evil orders and like set me up when I thought we were friends and I torpedoed you into an alien stomach. So mm-hmm. you know what? Water under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> that was just really great for the two of them. Um, I, uh, I, of course, you know, I love Vigilante. I made a little art project. I have a picture of Vigilante on my desk now, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. I just love him so much. I love when he just, you know, keeps fighting and keeps fighting, and then they're at the hospital, and they're like, Vigilante, you need to, like, be in the ICU like you've been shot. And he's like, no, it's, it's fine. I just need a nap. And he, like, falls, he falls all the way over. <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. I, I love his character so much. I'm so excited to see what more they're going to do with him. I love that, like, I love the vigilante didn't die. I was so sure that he wasn't going to make it. But, you know, I was sad with Murren's death. I thought that was a really great way to be like, I mean, he was going to have to die anyway once they got rid of the cow. So I love mm-hmm. that, you know, he died to protect his friends. Truly was, you know, living that, uh, you know, going against the fascist regime. To the, to the bitter end. I thought that was great. And you know what? I really like that, um, you know, the main butterfly queen isn't, like, you know, trampled in the end. I, goff. I, goff, yeah. yeah. I love that, uh, you know, Peacemaker continues to, like, you know, give her the last little bit of goo so that she can, you know, die of starvation. <laughs> I don't know if that's kinder, but, yeah. you know, prolong her life a little bit. Maybe he'll take her out of her misery before she starves to death. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I just thought that was a really, like, beautiful ending shot of, like, him and, and Goff and his father's ghost and equally all sitting on the porch and yeah eating goo. <laughs> so, for season two, they're going to have to redo the opening, right? 
I guess they will. Yeah, a lot of characters that were in that opening sequence died. Yeah, I hope they'll do something similar though with like a. Yeah, I hope they sequence. keep the song. Obviously, oh, it's so good. I hope they keep the dance and they just you know fill in those parts. Yeah. Or maybe you know swap out their dance moves for different dance moves and, yeah. and new people. Let's talk about um, Peacemaker's father because uh, it will dovetail nicely into what we're going to talk about next. Okay. Um, I just really really enjoyed the storyline between him and his father the entire time um i thought it raised the stakes super well i thought his armor looked fantastic i know yeah and very comics accurate i love that james gunn doesn't shy away from like it looks it looks too like comic booky we got to make it more like you know like military and like bulky and yeah. like lots of like shoulder pads they don't want to go like the mcu route where it's just like oh this is just armor but like colored to sort of look like they're yeah they're comic it's like he's got metal armor with horns and he shoots fireballs out of his arms and yeah. you know if you don't like it then then go watch the CW or <laughs> go watch the MCU or go watch, you know, the Snyderverse if that's not what you're into. But yeah, I just, I thought it was really, really gorgeous. Um, but I also really liked, you know, the fact that they didn't really even need to have like a big like confrontation. His, you know, his father showed up, he tried to kill his friends and he's like, you're too much of a pussy to kill me. And he's like, well, here's what I think about that. And just no second thought shoots his father in the head. And he's like... Okay, and now I really, really, really hope that that character is going to return for season two as a ghost who follows his son at every turn. Uh, really beautiful nod to his father in the comics. Yeah, it, and it's it's a good way for it, them to show Peacemaker's like internal, uh, I'm not good enough type dialogue yeah. without actually having him like have to say it or reveal it. Like, exactly. it, can, it can stay internal, but we as the audience will be able to see it. It also does a great job of showing us like what maybe what kind of stakes we can expect for season two. Because season one ends with him in a really good place. Mm. He's got his friends. He has saved the world. He's doing all right. He's, you know, back to his life. He's got his freedom and he's got like a good support network of people who he cares about and trusts. And yet we know that his father's ghost is going to be probably following him around and urging him to be more violent and perhaps be a little bit more gray morality and we'll probably end up seeing the effects of his mental illness uh taking a stronger hold on him mm -hmm. which you know will lead to whatever drama we'll see in season two i also thought that the the um the the end like revelation of revealing the existence of task force x and the suicide squad has some really deep implications that's true i totally the, forgot about the that. dc <gasps> entertainment universe or You're whatever right. it's called like, that could be next season is him and the other members of, like, this season's team running away from a Suicide Squad that's trying to get rid of them, or, uh... You really think, I mean, you really think Waller would, like, turn the Suicide Squad against her own daughter? Uh, yeah, 100%. She's <laughs> like, I got other kids! Waller is cold-hearted. I loved it. I loved every single time there was even a flash of Viola Davis on my screen. I, like, freaked out. I just loved seeing her so much. She's so amazing. She's the best part of the DCEU. I will not apologize for that. I love her so much. Even better than Vigilante? No, well, she's she's the best part of the DCEU, like, before that Peacemaker. That before Peacemaker. In the before times. <laughs> in the dark ages. Literally, it's so dark, I can't see the screen. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, really, really quickly, before we move on, uh, I want to talk about the Justice League cameo. Oh, okay. Because it was so false to the wall and so perfect, and I want to hear your, like, wild, mad guessing theories about, like, the implications of what we did see and what was digitally erased that we didn't see. So, okay, so at the end of the episode, Peacemaker has this fantastic line where the Justice League shows up. Leota had, you know, asked her mom earlier if she could send in the Justice League, and for whatever reason, they didn't show up until after the fight. And it's just uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman, and The Flash. Uh -huh. And um, everybody is in, like, very, like, hazy shadow, so you can't see their faces, except for The Flash and Aquaman. And Peacemaker walks towards them and he has this beautiful iconic line where he says, you're late, dickheads. <laughs> and then he tells Aquaman to go fuck another fish. And he's like, I'm sick of that rumor. And Flash is like, it's not a rumor. And he says, go fuck yourself. And it's hilarious. 
It's hilarious if you're a regular person who loves comedy and doesn't take any of this comic book stuff so seriously that it's like a second Bible for you. It's a great scene. It is unequivocally a beautiful mark out I love superheroes moment. It's fantastic. And anybody who's going to be like, they're ruining everything is a stupid crybaby. And I don't even (laughs) want you to listen to our podcast. So turn it off right now. Anyway, that being said, um, there was a Batman double, body double, who was cast. The guy took a picture in his trailer and he was like, so cool to be done with bat armor. Uh, He was digitally erased. I don't know if there's been any confirmation that there was a cyborg who was digitally erased, but I believe James Gunn had said that there was supposed to be a cyborg. But for whatever reason, both cyborg and Batman were erased uh, digitally. Huh. So what do we think? What implications does this have? Well, if Batman was going to be... Because if they were digitally erased, they were probably on the ends. Yeah. Right? Uh, If they erase Batman, maybe they just erase Cyborg to keep things, like, even. So it wasn't, like, a shot that was weirdly, like, not centered on all the members Mm -hmm. of of the Justice League. Uh, the reason why I think Batman isn't in there is definitely 100% because of the Flash movie that's going to be coming out. Yeah. I think James Gunn even said something along the lines of, like, I can't say why there wasn't Batman, or something like that. Uh, which, you know, leads me to believe and pretty much confirms that DC was like, hey, we don't want him in there. Can you remove him? And it's because we have, like, bigger things planned for the character. Yeah. And maybe it was because they didn't want them showing, like, an Affleck version of Batman when the Pattinson one is now supposed to be, like, the one. And, like, also we know that, like, Keaton is eventually gonna be the one. In, like, in the Batgirl movie. And he's also in the Flash movie. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, like, three different versions of Batman that are sort of kicking around right now. I know that, like, the the um the DCEU Snyderverse one is sort of done like they're not going to use that character again except yeah. for in the Flash movie and then he's like out uh but yeah it, it's it reads to me is just like they have plans for the character and they didn't want this to overlap with those plans yeah i don't know the specter of batman hangs heavy over peacemaker he's mentioned more than any dc superhero that's true Except for maybe Aquaman, but... I mean, he's one of the biggest the characters that DC yeah. has. I don't know. It's very strange that they would mention Batman so many times and then be like, oh yeah, Batman. Oh, you mean the one who's like lost in time or who like disappeared from our reality? I don't know. That would be I guess cool, we'll see. honestly, if they were like, oh yeah, the dark side storyline happened where he got Omega beamed into the past. I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, transition then into our discussion of Peace Pals. Okay, tell me about whoever it is from Peacemaker you're going to tell me about. Well, this will be our last Peace Pals of the season. I am really hoping that Judo Master makes an appearance next season, and maybe we'll get more of his story, so we'll get into him then. Uh, But so for our last Peace Pals of the season, we're going to talk about White Dragon. So there are three men who have taken up the mantle of the White Dragon, uh, usually neo-Nazis fighting to protect some form of... Aryan Empire white power group. Uh, But there was also a Chinese hero named Chop Chop, later changed to Chopper in the 70s because (laughs) yikes, uh, who uh, took up the mantle of the white dragon when fighting Japanese invaders in his homeland. But today we're going to focus on William Heller, who is not August Smith and is not Peacemaker's father. Just a reminder, in the post-crisis comics universe, Peacemaker's father was named Wolfgang Schmidt, and he was a Nazi war criminal who commanded a concentration camp and then committed suicide in front of his son when his crimes came to light. And as we said in our Peacemaker review, uh, August Smith was a great update to the character that really upped the ante on the control he has over his son. Following the death in his comics, uh, Wolfgang appeared to his son dressed in his SS uniform and urged him to be more violent. And I love that we'll probably see this exact same thing happen in season two with Augie's ghost following Chris around and calling him a pussy whenever he tries to make a good decision. Yeah. But today we're talking about William Heller because he was the white dragon of New Earth and the one with the connection to the Suicide Squad. Okay. 
William Heller was a rich boy who was an acquaintance of Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot, growing up. Uh, and William witnessed the death of his parents when they accidentally wandered into a race riot and he was sent to live with his Nazi grandfather who turned William's conservatism into full-blown racism. When his grandfather passed, William was left with an enormous fortune which he used to fund neo-Nazi and white supremacist groups. Because, you know, obviously. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like giving to charities, except the charities hate, hate people who don't look like you. Exactly. <laughs> As an adult, William took on the name William Hell spooky (laughs) and became sort of a racist vigilante who would turn minority criminals over to the police and send white criminals to join his group which he called the Aryan Empire so like a regular cop (laughs) I said it in an attempt to ruin Heller's reputation Deadshot who is white in the comics shows up to a meeting of the Aryan Empire and claims to be the real William Hill he gives a positive speech to the crowd attempting to unite both the Aryan Empire members who are there and black protesters who have gathered and when Heller shows up the two have a marksmanship contest to prove like who's the real one Mm -hmm. and they take turns shooting an apple off of Captain Boomerang's head oh boy so Floyd hits it of course and the squad uses, wait for it, a time machine to cause Heller to miss. Why? How? I, I'm not 100% sure exactly how they do this. Uh, they are just able to change the trajectory of it using a time machine. So he misses. Um, therefore, racism solved? Mission accomplished, Task Force X, <laughs> I guess. Heller later reinvented himself as White Dragon, donning the armor seen in the Peacemaker show. He is later recruited by Amanda Waller to join Task Force X, but is incredibly rebellious and attempts to kill Waller in a training exercise. He later tries to overthrow Waller and kill the squad, but he is killed when Plastique breaks a hole in his mask and creates an explosion inside his armor. And nothing of value was lost. (laughs) Bye, White Dragon. Plastique is like some sort of explosives expert yeah she she like has explosives as part of her body or something yes she has the ability to project explosive force from her body oh okay mm-hmm. like plastic explosives yeah yeah like plastic explosives yeah but it's plastic because she's a lady uh-huh mm-hmm. i get it <laughs> she's also canadian very very clever comic writers mm-hmm. isn't uh oh, captain adam or something he's also canadian yes i think they get married at some Ooh. point? Hold on. Yeah, no, engaged. Uh, but they are, their engagement is broken off because nobody is allowed to be happy or married. In the comics. In comic books. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that all that you have to tell me about White Dragon? Yeah, that's all the information I have on uh, William Heller, a.k.a. William Hill, a.k.a. White Dragon. Okay. So I think it's time for us to jump into the comic. I don't think we said it exactly at the top of the episode, but uh, we are doing Batmite. I think they got it. Okay, good, good, good. I mean, it's in the. It should be in the episode title. From like the title, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that little imp that, that keeps showing up. <laughs> I hope he comes back. <laughs> so we're talking about Detective Comics number two sixty seven. Batman meets Batmite. The cover date is June nineteen fifty nine. Writer was Bill Finger. Penciler was Sheldon Moldov. Inker is Charles Paris, and the editors were Murray Boltonov and George Cashton. Fun little fact, this is the 500th appearance of Batman. Ooh! The cover shows Batman and Robin finding the Batcave in disarray while an imp in a loose-fitting Batman costume says that he's there to join their team, and the teaser page shows Batman fighting criminals on a giant flying record while Batmite dances and Robin blames him for the brawl. Mm. The comic opens with Bruce and Dick entering the Batcave to begin their nightly patrol. The two find their secret lair to be out of order, however, with Batman's utility belt on the floor and beakers knocked over. So Robin says that his radio belt was left open uh, and he always keeps it closed to keep dust out. Is there a lot of dust in a cave? Uh, yeah. Of course. I feel like it's like wet in a cave, so there wouldn't be a lot of dust. No, it's got... It's rocks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and if rocks get blown by the wind, they turn into dust. I, I learned about so. erosion in, in middle school. I guess so. <laughs> also, you know, if they got bats living in there, you don't want to get any bat guano in that, uh, in that radio <laughs> belt. Gross. Anyway, 
beakers are knocked over on their investigation chemistry set. Yeah. <laughs> so before the dynamic duo can grasp the full implications of a stranger having found the Batcave, they hear a disembodied voice apologize for the mess. Then, what Robin believes is an elf in an ill-fitting Batman costume that has a sideways lightning bolt on it instead of a bat symbol, appears and explains that he is not an elf, he just comes from a different dimension in which all men are his size. So, I have a question. Yes. So they don't technically say it in this comic, but it is later retconned or explained that Batmite comes from the fifth dimension, which is also the dimension of Mr. McSpillick. Yes. So... I'm about to break your brain. Okay. Do Batman and Robin live in the third dimension? Yes. Or the second dimension? They live in the third dimension. And the reason why I know this is because a cover later, like Batmite in other media, in the Batman the Brave and the Bold episode, which he shows up to, he refers to Batman as like a third dimensioner. Like he's like, you people in the third dimension don't understand. Hmm. All right. I guess. Would that make us as the comic readers fourth dimensional beings because we can see their world from an outsider's perspective? Oh my god. (laughs) I mean, the fourth dimension is moving through time, right? And we see time through the comic panels, right? That's true. (laughs) Wow. So to them, we're fourth dimensional beings. Sure. Wow. (laughs) All right. That's messed up. Anyway... He reveals that he's given himself the name Batmite and has come to use his unearthly powers to help Batman fight crime. Has anyone in the third dimension ever seen Batmite without his costume? I don't think so. So I'm just wondering, are his ears shaped like that? Or is he just like bad at sewing? I think he's bad at sewing. Also, he doesn't even try to draw the bat. (laughs) <laughs> it's just like a squiggle and he's like good enough it's, i'm the biggest fan in my dimension uh, he obviously has no competition <laughs> it's a sideways lightning bolt it looks sort of cool i think i don't know no. no yeah he's definitely he's he looks like a child who made their own batman costume with floppy ears and a poorly drawn symbol on the chest it's truly um it's something else <laughs> Batman protests, explaining that crime fighting takes training and that they will not be able to explain his presence to the criminals they're fighting, I guess. I don't know why he has to explain. Seemingly... Oh, this is my uh, son? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it, pal! (laughs) Like, who's gonna care? Like, why does Batman have to be the one that explains why this strange man has appeared and is using magic powers? Oh my god. Why can't he put the the impetus for that on Batmite himself? Yeah, also he's clearly seen that Batmite can turn invisible, so like, just utilize that. That's true. I guess he just doesn't trust him, he thinks he's small, he's, you know, judging a book by its cover. Mm. Hmm. Well, surprisingly easygoing about it, Batmite agrees that Batman is correct about him not being able to fight crime and pops out of existence. However... As Batman and Robin leave for their patrol, it is revealed that Batmite has simply just turned himself invisible again and has tagged along anyway. The Cape Crusader and Boy Wonder happen upon a gang that they have been after for months and cut their getaway short by blocking the car with the Batmobile. The crooks attempt to get away on foot by crossing a truss bridge and the crime fighters pursue, but as they do, the bridge begins wobbling into squiggly lines. They say uh, the bridges become as hilly as a roller coaster. Uh And in my opinion, somebody who's ridden a lot of roller coasters, pretty crappy roller coaster design. Maybe like a bit of ejector airtime on the top of those (laughs) hills, but it would definitely get old after a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a little up and down, up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's enough to throw Batman and the crooks like balance off. It looks like, um, what's that thing in Coney Island with the horses? Steeplechase. Steeplechase. Yeah. Looks like the original steeplechase. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Batman realizes that what's happening to the bridge is the work of Batmite, but he uses the bridge's erratic behavior to jump across while pummeling the thieves, which he describes as like riding a pogo stick. Hmm. The now apprehended criminals ask what was happening to the bridge, 
to which the Dark Knight, with his quick wit, blames on the nearby chemical plant dumping its waste into the river, which must have produced a gas that made them hallucinate. I love Batman's explanation, and I love how the criminal just buys it. Yeah. Like, oh, yes, the city must have been dumping hallucinogenic chemicals into the river. Good old Gotham. The criminals accept the explanation without questioning why they aren't still hallucinating, or why Batman doesn't go after the real criminals here, the corporation dunking the toxic chemicals into the waterway. Exactly. When the dynamic duo arrive back in the Batcave, Batmite rematerializes, and Batman says that he... Ought to spank him. I ought to spank you! For the trouble he caused. <laughs> Batmite explains that the prolonged encounter was just so he could see Batman in action and have more fun. Batman scolds the imp again, saying that crime fighting is not fun, which is the biggest lie that Batman has ever told. Absolutely. Why else would eight children join him to fight in crime if it wasn't fun? Well, most of them are damaged and like he is like okay dick lost his parents uh jason's parents are like criminals he's like a deadbeat dad yeah tim's just like he just really loves batman was tim rich yeah his dad is like some sort of politician or something but he's like a huge batman fan and he's like a good detective he was a good detective and he's like yeah i'm gonna do this yeah uh, Stephanie's dad is a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, Barbara's, Barbara's are... She's not damaged. You no, know, but she's, like, in it, because she's, like, you know, her dad is the police commissioner and all that. And then Damien's mother is an assassin. That's true. So most of these children are damaged or at least a little, you know, willing to <laughs> put their life on the line. But, yeah, it's totally fun. It must be. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway... Batmite pops out of existence, calling Batman a spoil sport. The next night, however, Batmite returns and remains invisible as Batman and Robin see on their telescreen that the bat signal is lit up and the police have a job for them. I like this revelation that Batman has a television screen that monitors the Gotham skyline because it reeks of being an answer to some sort of smart aleck letter to the editor, which asked how Batman sees the bat signal when his lair is underground. I love it. (laughs) I know that I say a lot of the Silver Age stuff should make it into modern adaptions, but this is the sort of thing that I feel like could be included as a little detail in like a movie or something and wouldn't be like immersion breaking or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like whenever the bat signal appears, I mean, obviously it's fiction, so like they can just do whatever they want. Yeah, but he's exactly. always like out a window, and he's like, "Oh, yeah." Do you think he sings the song to himself? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's it's time for me to go out on patrol. Non diegetic. Yeah. Back to the story. The unnamed crooks are shown having pulled off the perfect job. And if you guessed that that meant stealing the gate receipts to an exposition featuring oversized props, you would be right. Oh, hold on. I gotta, I gotta cross off uh, gate receipts on my Silver Age Batman comic bingo card. Oh, I got bingo! <laughs> I also had homoerotic subtext, a gun is shown but not fired, <laughs> Batcave dinosaur, and detective equipment that isn't being used to solve crime. Yeah, bingo! <laughs> Unfortunately for the crooks, it wasn't that perfect a crime because they set off the security alarm and Batman and Robin show up to apprehend them. They don't give up that much of a fight before surrendering, which disappoints Batmite, who decides to spice things up a bit by scooping up the gang of crooks on a giant record. Well, I already got bingo, but I also had huge versions of everyday objects he used as a weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you know. And the reason why there's a giant record there is obviously because this was a high-fidelity stereo exposition. Uh, Obviously. Yeah. To catch the criminals, Batman grabs onto the tape of a giant reel-to-reel machine as Robin throws the switch, because obviously these giant props actually work like they're supposed to. Uh Uh-huh. And Batman lets go when he gains enough momentum to soar towards the crooks and pummel them. This time, the Masked Manhunter explains to the goons that the giant phonograph's motor must have malfunctioned and sent the record spinning with enough force to send it flying, Mm. which, again, the crooks just sort of buy. Mm. (laughs) I guess because they're stupid enough to do crime, they are also uh, stupid enough to buy uh, these, like, 
bogus physics things. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if they were smart, they wouldn't be criminals. Exactly. Exactly. When they arrive back at the Batcave, Batmite is once again there to greet the dynamic duo, and Batman says that he will spank Batmite. Why is spanking his go-to? I mean, it's the it's the 50s. If a child, I mean, Batman is small, or Batmite is small, he looks like a child, the go-to when a child is misbehaving is to spank them. But, like, Batmite said he's not, he said all he's men like, are my height. <laughs> like, if Batman ran into, like, you know, what What was his name from a couple episodes ago? Uh, the the ventriloquist dummy. Oh, yeah. Danny the dummy. <laughs> if he ran into him and he was like, I'm going to spank you. Like, no, it's a full grown man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong when it's a child also. That's true. The mischievous imp doesn't stick around for the scolding and disappears again. I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah, you do wish because I scold you all the time. Mm hmm. The next evening, the crime fighters get a tip that the Yellow Gloves gang plans to rob the safe at the Gotham Auto Company. I wonder what they wear. Which is in an empty warehouse. <laughs> of course, Batmite is listening to the Cape Crusaders planning while invisible and wishing for a more exciting battlefield moves props from a movie set into the empty warehouse. The props include a Viking boat, a Sphinx, a giant globe, and a 20-foot tall Batman statue. Batmite is really just doing this all for the fans, so I can't help but stan. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. His whole his whole deal is like, I want to see more Batman action, so I gotta make his, his set pieces even grander. Mm -hmm. Shortly after, the criminals arrive to find the props, the Cape Crusader, and the Boy Wonder waiting for them. As they are jumped, the gang has one of the funniest exchanges ever. One of them says, you fools, stop him. And the one getting hit by Batman goes, yeah, how? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, real. The criminals begin to make their escape, though, by pushing the Viking boat, which is on wheels, out the warehouse and downhill. In order to assist the crime fighters in their pursuit, Batmite pops into existence and makes the Sphinx jump towards the crooks. He overestimates, however, and the Sphinx throws Batman and Robin, who were riding it, off of it. Batman admonishes the troublesome imp, saying that his fun has allowed the bandits to escape, and that the only way he can make it right is by using his powers exactly as Batman instructs. As the thieves roll away, they see a giant Batman statue chasing them, and it picks up the boat and dumps them out. The dynamic duo jump out of the statue's utility belt and apprehend the crooks. This time, Batman doesn't have to come up with a weak explanation, as the criminals decide that the statue must have been a robot that Batman was piloting. Which they, is as good as an explanation as any. But they explain that Batmite brought this statue to life. Yes. So, is it still alive? Are we no. going to gloss over the fact that Batmite has the ability to give life? I don't think he has the ability to give life. He has the ability to animate things. So that's why he was able to make the bridge wobble and the record, like, fly into the air. Okay. He has the ability to sort of, like, move things around. He doesn't have the ability to create life, as well, far as I can tell. That's what it says. Well, bring to life is a figure of speech. It's a it's a turn of phrase. Okay. When, when you say, like, uh, you know, the machine was brought to life, you don't actually mean that you've imbued it with a soul. You mean that it's, you know, powered up. You could if it's a Stephen King book. Perhaps. Mm -hmm. Lawnmower Man? Uh, well... No, Chomper? What was that thing we were watching uh, that, that episode? There was the one the with thrasher. the The Thrasher. That's a yeah. laundry press. I was thinking about Christine. Oh, that's okay. That's a car that's been possessed by a demon, I think. That's, that's not being brought to life, though. That's being possessed. Yeah. Man, I love that book. <laughs> that car loved him. <laughs> Back at the Batcave, Batman delivers a final scolding of Batmite, pleading with him to stop causing trouble and go back to his own dimension. Batmite finally relents, saying goodbye for now as he leaves, leaving Batman and Robin to worry about his return, with Robin suggesting that they move to China or Mars to avoid the troublesome gremlin. Mm -hmm. 
that's it. That's the end of the comic. It basically sets it up for them to be like, yeah, and this little guy is going to come back and cause more trouble. Don't you worry. Yeah, this little stinker's going to be back. Well, following his first appearance, Batmite showed up periodically. At one point, he actually saves the lives of Batman, Robin, and Batwoman, and later becomes Batwoman's sidekick. However, things get very complicated when Batwoman kisses Batmite, causing him to fall in love with her. And wanting his love to become more popular and adored than Batman, Batmite tried to sabotage Batman. But he was eventually discovered and returned to his own dimension before he could face the consequences of his actions. <laughs> That's kind of his MO. He comes in, messes stuff up, and then before anyone can, like, punish him he just like blips out of existence he's like bye so again very jealous in another comic that might showed up to help betty kane uh batgirl in in this version of the uh pre-crisis continuity pre-crisis uh betty kane batgirl win dick grayson's affections after he rejected her and told her he was devoted to another woman Batmite uses his powers to help Betty seem super strong, and he also controls a tiger, which she easily captures, uh, in the process saving a handsome actor who kisses Betty and tells her she is beautiful. But that's another thing where, like, he can also animate, like, living creatures, too. Like, he could control this tiger so that it wouldn't, like, attack her. Hmm. However, the last step in their plan goes awry when Betty is kidnapped and Batmite reveals his ruse to Robin. This, of course, involves them riding a giant seagull to where she is being held. (laughs) Obviously. After saving Betty, Dick reveals that the other woman he was devoted to... Can you guess? Uh... Who, wait, Batmite is devoted to or the, Robin is the devoted The woman who Robin was devoted to. Oh, Lady Justice, obviously. Yes, absolutely. The Statue of Justice. <laughs> because crime fighting is a full-time job. And like Batman, Dick has made a commitment to stay away from romance until he's ready to retire. Batman arrives and hears Dick saying this to Betty and tells Dick that he doesn't have to make that sacrifice while he's still a teenager. <laughs> Thrilled, Betty kisses Dick and Batmite returns home. Aww. So another moment for them to be like, like, actually, they're not gay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. One of the main reasons of introducing the Bat family. Exactly. Batmite also showed up in storylines involving Mr. McSpitlick, usually as an adversary, but sometimes teaming up. At one point, they made a bet that they could disguise themselves so well that Batman and Superman couldn't figure out who they were. Uh, Bear in mind that they're each about two feet tall, (laughs) so don't know how I thought this was going to work. Donning their costumes, they become Speed Kid and Force Boy, but they both lose the bet because Batman and Superman very easily figure out their identities. (laughs) In 1964, under new editor Julius Schwartz, several minor members of the Bat family, including Batmite and Ace the Bat Hound, disappeared from the comics. In 1979, in a comic titled Batmite's New York Adventure, Batmite visited the Tishman Building, where DC's editorial offices were located at the time. Outside the office, he finds protesters with picket signs saying, We want Batmite! And he goes inside and tries to convince the writers to give him his own feature in Batman comics. This story had an editorial comment in it acknowledging that many fans had been requesting Batmite's return for a long time. Wow. Post-crisis, Batmite was mostly removed, but he made appearances in a few Elseworlds comics. One was titled Mightfall, which was a one-shot parody of Nightfall, which is the comic (laughs) where Batman gets his spine broken by Bane. Uh, In another one-shot, which was an Elseworlds tale, Batmite battles Mr. McSpitlick and in the process destroys several universes, including the Kingdom Come universe, the Dark Knight Returns universe, and the DC Animated universe. Yeah, we I, I read through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because it goes through all the different art styles and stuff. It's very sad, though. There's a lot of, like, really graphic death. Oh, yeah, for sure. They, they end up killing, like, all of these different universes. But then at the end of the comic, they, like, Mr. McSpitlick and Batmite sort of have a laugh about it and restore everything. Yeah. It's... it's pretty messed up. It is, yeah. In 2015, Batmite starred in his own limited six-issue series. In it, he is exiled to Earth by the Council of Mites, and after a brief run-in with Batman, Batmite is captured by a villain named Dr. Trauma, who transplants old people's brains into young people's bodies. This <laughs> limited series also includes appearances by Hawkman and Booster Gold, and the fight... <laughs> yes, Josh's favorite... 
And the final issue, published in January 2016, sees Batmite altering Mount Rushmore so it features himself, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. <laughs> Batmite also travels to Washington and explains how he helped various presidential candidates win their campaigns. This comic includes appearances by Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and Jeb Bush. Please clap. <laughs> Side note. There's a panel where you can see President Obama's desk in the Oval Office, and he has a note on his desk that says, To-do list, by Batman Beyond. Oh, <laughs> interesting. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all the Batmite that there's been since he was invented. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, he was he had a, a bunch of misadventures in the Silver Age, was removed with the editor change, and has sort of showed up as like a character who... Like, long-time Batman fans reference, mm -hmm. or sort of as a, a supplement to Mr. McSpitlick. Or like in Peacemaker, if you're trying to think like the weirdest Batman villain yeah. character you could think of, you might bring up Batmite, and people are like, who's Batmite? And you're like, he's a fifth-dimensional being who loves Batman, whatever. Yeah, he's like a, he's one of those like deep cuts that people keep bringing back yes. because he's fun. And he's canon in the DCEU. Yes. And I hope he shows up in a movie directed <laughs> by Zack Snyder. Who voices him or plays him in the movie? Oh, Patton Oswalt. I don't even think about that. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. That's a good choice. Thanks. Because um, I'm going to cover his appearances in other media. Okay. So, Has Patton Oswalt played him already? No, he okay. hasn't. But you might want him to be played by one of the guys who I'm going to mention who played him in Brave and the Bold. Okay. So I'm going to start out with... Oh. Is it um, John DiMaggio? No. Okay. No, it's not. All right, I'll be quiet. Okay. So I'm going to go back to his first, uh, like, in-media adaption that was not comics. And Batmite appears in the very first episode of The New Adventures of Batman, a cartoon which ran for a single season in 1977. And the reason why he appears is because you could not have a cartoon in the 70s without an annoying sidekick. Mm -hmm. And Batmite fulfilled that role. Well, an annoying two-foot-tall flying thing, usually <laughs> from another world. I mean, everyone's trying to get that Flintstone money, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and well, I was thinking also Scooby had Scrappy. Yeah. Like, little annoying sidekicks were, like, all the rage. Anyway... This was a series in which Adam West and Burt Ward reprised their roles as Batman and Robin, and Batmite was voiced by executive producer at Filmation, Lou Scheimer, who also voiced Mighty Mouse and Tracy the Gorilla in Ghostbusters. Cute. Not that Ghostbusters. Not the real Ghostbusters. Not the real Ghostbusters, but the Ghostbusters cartoon that had the gorilla and the other guys in it. Yep. And also, he voiced various side characters in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Also, fun fact about him, his daughter would voice other side characters in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, as well as characters in She-Ra. Hmm. Budgets were tight, so yes. executive producers were doing voices for the cartoons. Nice. The filmation version of Batmite is similar to his comic counterpart, causing issues for Batman and Robin and his attempts to help them fight crime. His dimension in this cartoon series is called Ergo, and the final three episodes see the crime fighters facing off another fifth dimensional being named Zarbor. In the very final episode, Zarbor turns uh, Batman and Robin evil, and Batmite and Batgirl have to, like, stop them from committing crimes and figure out how to unbrainwash them. Of course. Yeah. Side note... In researching this, I learned that Filmation had not one, but two Gilligan's Island spin-off cartoons, hmm. the second of which was called Gilligan's Planet, and the premise is that the professor on Gilligan's Island builds a rocket ship instead of a boat, and the castaways get stuck on an alien planet instead. They've been through so much. <laughs> to bring it full circle, though... Paul Dini of Batman the Animated Series fame was a writer on Gilligan's Planet. Oh my god. <laughs> Good for him. Speaking of Batman the Animated Series, Batmite briefly appears in an episode called Deep Freeze, which is the one with like the Walt Disney Howard Hughes character who's mm -hmm. trying to freeze himself to stay immortal and gets Mr. Freeze to do that. Yeah. Anyway, 
He appears in that episode as a malfunctioning toy created by Carl Rossum, a robotics expert from the episodes Heart of Steel and His Silicon Soul. Mm. Other side note, I like how in later episodes of the animated series, they weave in characters from previous episodes. Mm -hmm. It really solidifies to me the show's superiority as the best version of Batman. For them to sort of build this lore and backstory that isn't necessarily required to watch in order to understand the future episodes, but is really neat to see that these characters have recurring appearances. Finally... Batmite also appears in Batman the Brave and the Bold, where he is voiced by former Pee Wee Herman actor Paul Rubens. Ah. Since that show embraces the Silver Age wackiness, Batmite is again similar to his comic counterpart, a huge fan of Batman who uses his powers as an attempt to make Batman's fights more entertaining. He also hosts the episode Batmite Presents Batman's Strangest Cases, where he shows Batman in alternate universes, including the Batmanga version of the character, and a crossover with Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Gang. Can I ask, what year was Brave and the Bold? Uh, it was the early 2010s, okay. I believe. So it was like after Paul Rubens's, you know, reformation. Yes. From his controversies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, that episode, coincidentally, was also written by Paul Dini. Yeah. <laughs> he is also in an episode where he ge- accidentally gives the Joker all of his powers. Mm-hmm. And the that episode has a character called Harley Quinn that doesn't really look like Harley Quinn. Um, but she, like, plays a, a minor role in that. And I think that episode might have also been written by Paul Dini. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But he's, he's a fun character. He, he has an episode, like the, the first episode he appears in, I'm pretty sure, he shows up and basically does what he does in this comic where he tries to make entertaining fights for Batman. Mm. He uh, gives like Batman different villains to fight. Batman tries to trick him into having him fight a, a pitiful villain like Calendar Man, but then he ends up like overpowering Calendar Man. So Calendar Man becomes like a hulking guy and he gets the power to summon like Easter bunnies and stuff. It's an absolutely wild episode. I recommend that you watch it because it's really funny. Okay. Um, I'll think about it. Yeah, Raven the Bold is a fun show. It's not like deep and it doesn't have like amazing storylines, but it's, you know, it's a fun romp. But yeah, um, and then finally he's been made canon by the Peacemaker show. We love it. That's the last note I have on his other adaptions. I still think Patton Oswalt would be a better option for the the dceu version of batman it would work i i know that gilbert Gottfried usually does the voice for mr mcspitlick or at least he did in like the superman animated series yeah i would love to see him show up in dceu too well the reason i say um pat oswald. oswald is because pat oswald has this great quality that he brings out a lot of times in his stand-up where he plays like the whiny fanboy character so oh, that's well true, like yeah. he that was his role in parks and rec and like that's just sort of sometimes how he portrays himself um that he could be like no this isn't right i need batman to have more action yeah he... i'm not gonna i'm gonna make my magic and also just like the love that he has for batman like the the comic that i read where he fights mr mix but like it starts with Mr. McSpit like accidentally killing Batman, and Batmite is so distressed. He's like, "You killed my Batman!" And he immediately um, summons a red sun and a magnifying glass to like burn Superman alive as like <laughs> retribution. <laughs> like he's dark, but he loves Batman. He does. Yeah, and I do too. So I like Batmite. Mm-hmm. There's a little Batmite in all of us, I think. Yeah, he's a fun character. And like you said, he's sort of an audience insert sometimes. It'd be like, you know, I want more exciting things to happen. He's a fourth wall breaker, which mm-hmm. is which is always, A fifth wall breaker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is always fun to play around with. Yeah. And and deliver like meta commentary using. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's all I have to say about Batmite. Me too. Okay. Well, y'all, it's the week of the Batman. Yeah. The week of the Batman, the movie. <laughs> uh, so Godspeed to you all. Next I... week we will have a, a review for it. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll review Catwoman Hunted too. I, I think we should dedicate an entire episode to the Batman. Okay. You know. that, that was something that I didn't cover in news is that there's a new movie, a new DC animated movie came out, uh, Catwoman Hunted 
it's got a director. I already covered this in news like a couple of weeks ago, but it's got a director that's like an anime director. Yeah. Um, and it, it features like Batwoman and stuff. It's, yeah. So I'm excited to, to dig into that. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Well, we got our tickets. I hope you got yours. Um, yeah, that's true. It's sold out. It's sold out. Even the, the IMAX screenings and stuff are sold out. I think let's uh, let's end this let's end this week with a prayer. Give me your hand. Okay. All right. Dear Bill, we ask you and the Batman gods just to see us through this movie uh, without pretension and without unnecessary dark grittiness we hope the soul of the bat will remain intact and that nothing will be either too cheesy or too overblown manly as to not be taken seriously we just hope for a good time at the movies and maybe if we're lucky a little bit of detective work (laughs) <laughs> that just that'd be nice. Um, amen. Batman. Batman. <laughs> All right, this has been Batmates. You can follow us on Twitter at Batmates. You can email us at Batmates at gmail dot com. And nope. nope, that is not our that is not our email oh, address. Batmates podcast at gmail dot com. I'm sorry, it's been a while, y'all. <laughs> uh, glad we're back. Hope that you will continue to listen, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, everyone.